0: You are listening to a message from Mosaic Knox. For more information about our church, visit mosaicknox.org. You do not have to go very far in the Gospels to see that Jesus has a few habits. Jesus gathers. He was not one to keep a big crowd next to him. Instead, he moved pretty lowly. But when he taught, more and more people came to where he was. They appeared at the temples when Jesus was in the cities. People wandered to the shore of a lake as his boat came in. And they even followed him to the side of a mountain after the miracles that they had witnessed. Jesus knew the perfect way to bring people together from all walks of life to the same place at the same time. Jesus celebrates. I mean, have you read John 2? Like the first time that Jesus performed a public miracle was on the third day of a wedding that he and his friends were invited to. And it was when the wine ran out. Jesus enjoyed company. He enjoyed the good wine and the Jewish festivals. It was Jesus who initiated and regularly went to dinner parties. And lastly, Jesus grubs. Jesus eats. If you open up the book of Luke, there is a high percentage chance that you'll land on a page that mentions food or at least a meal. It doesn't say what his favorite meal was, but we know that he prioritized eating with people. He ate with Pharisees, sinners, friends, the sick, and the rich. Eating together was God's idea, and Jesus mastered the practice of it. Throughout history, people groups of all kinds have shown hospitality by gathering around food, around a table. The practice of cooking and eating a meal brings people to the same place at the same time, doing the same thing. And there's a magic that happens, right? Think about your family reunions or at Thanksgivings and Christmases, graduations or anniversaries no matter where you are, there's something that serving a meal with people that does something to us. There's a magic that happens even at your family reunions, right? Think about Christmases or Thanksgivings, graduations and anniversaries. No matter where, there is something that serving a meal does that brings us together. By slowing down and engaging with other people, we experience something that is hard to explain. You can't quite define how authentic questions about your life, or not having to worry about a single logistic of an evening, and belly laughing with new friends makes you feel inside. How it connects us, how it erases shame, and it breaks down walls simultaneously. And in light of the past year, it might be helpful to revisit how we are opening our hearts and how we open our homes as we see hospitality as bridge building, how we see hospitality as loving and caring for our neighbors, and how sitting and listening to each other is in fact a practice of King Jesus. It's Jesus's practice of hospitality that reminds us that we are not numbers or what we post online but instead we are flesh and blood that crave care and the warm love of community. I'm learning how to do this myself on a daily basis, and I am not the guru or the best host ever. But here at Mosaic, we talk a lot about giving your time, your energy, your money, and your resources. And today I wanna talk about how we are giving our space. The question that I wanna build up to today is, How do we become people of hospitality? Where does it start? I believe hospitality starts when we slow down. This ancient art is rooted in the lives of people for generations across all cultures. It's throughout Luke's gospel too. And it's in Luke gospel that he tells us how the person of Jesus is configured to reach those who are looking for deliverance where the good news is not limited to specific people from specific family lines. Luke makes it clear that Jesus attracts those who have need, both internally and externally, and invites them to himself. Looking at our teaching text in Luke 19, it teaches us hospitality on both sides. It teaches us love and care for for another. And in this story, we zoom in on a moment in time where Jesus has traveled through Jericho and he slowed down and he stopped exactly in the spot where Zacchaeus was. And there was a crowd around him where he and his disciples were walking. There was so much of a crowd, in fact, that it was hard to see him, let alone get close to him. There were 10 layers of people deep, shoulders were brushed against together and the roads were clogged with foot traffic. That's probably why Zacchaeus was up in a tree. Zacchaeus was the rich tax scammer of his district, well known for his tricks. But Zacchaeus heard that Jesus was to be the one who completely changes the lives of the people in the city. Zacchaeus slowed down and he stopped because of the things that he had heard. He was seeking to know. That's what verse three says. Zacchaeus was seeking him. He just wanted to get a look at him. He just wanted to see if it's true. And the other person in this story is Jesus. And Jesus stopped too. In the midst of the moment, in the midst of the crowd and his schedule and all the questions and the requests that he was getting, he stopped he stopped where Zacchaeus was and sees him in the tree. See, the two go hand in hand. Slowing down allows you to seek. Are you too busy? Does your busyness demand your undivided attention every hour that you're awake? Do you have the chance to breathe? Are you able to seek? The beginning of hospitality is slowing down because slowing down is finding the chances to love and to care. If your schedule is too busy to have people in your home, then your schedule is too busy. We will lose the first part of a hospitable posture if we refuse to slow down and stop. It takes work to do this because it is so unnatural for us. I get it. The schedule gets full every Monday morning before lunch has hit, and then by Wednesday, I'm ready to do anything just to fast forward to the weekend already, just to rest for the next week. But when it comes to loving and caring for our neighbors, our schedule either allows us to or it constricts us. We must slow down to practice hospitality. And as we slow down, we will practice it. There are so many stories in the Old Testament that we could read about and more stories in the New Testament that we could study until we've memorized them all. But people who followed Jesus long before us have trailblazed the path to what God is doing by loving people unlike themselves. Let me repeat that. The people who have followed Jesus long before us have trailblazed a path to what God is doing by loving people unlike themselves. And by walking on that path towards Jesus, you will not receive a trophy. It's not mapped out where you can master this by the end of the year. It is a practice of a daily grind for our neighbors, with our neighbors. And by walking this path to Jesus, you won't receive any trophy. It's not mapped out to be completed by the end of the year. It is a practice of a daily grind for our neighbors, with our neighbors. And it's a daily grind because we believe we're not committed to this life alone, but together Everything in our world, and especially this past year, has pointed us to isolation, seclusion, alone. But everything about Jesus points us to relationship, to intimacy, and to vulnerability. God made us for each other. Our love for Jesus drives us towards one another. And our love for one another drives us all back to Jesus. That's why it can't just be when Christians are extra nice, they're practicing hospitality. That's not the way that people in the past have postured their hearts. Hospitality starts when you slow down and you see others around you. And the most famous way to do this for good reason is by means of a shared meal around a table. In Wes's sermon on class a couple weeks ago, he was talking about the invisible line of class that divides our city our social circles, and our neighborhood. He said this, quote, the truth is that it's easy to come here on a Sunday and worship God. For many of us, it can feel easy to be in the privacy of our home, to pray and to read, to listen and to study, even to love those inside the walls of your social circles. And we are compelled by Jesus to do those things. We want to read. We want to listen to the Spirit of God. We want to pray and engage with those in the community. But it's much much less natural and much more difficult to step outside the walls of your friend groups and to seek to give your life away to those who do not improve your social standing. So take a walk with God in the park. That is simple and that is good. But step into the shoes of a refugee from Tanzania and walk with them through this transition of life in a place like Knoxville, Tennessee, much more difficult, equally good. End quote. See, our formation starts with slowing down and following Jesus' example of how he cared for strangers outside of the church. Caring for them in a way where we know the name and the story of the person who we would never interact with. Look at Luke 14 with me. It's a couple of chapters before Zacchaeus meets Jesus, but it's a, it's a day where we zoom in on Jesus' meal at a Pharisee's house. There's so much in this section. There's a lot of context and a lot of teaching, but there's a specific piece here that blares out to me when we talk about hospitality. It's verses 12 through 14. It says this, Then Jesus said to his host, when you give a lunch or a dinner, do not invite your friends, your brothers or your sisters, your relatives or your rich neighbors. If you do, they might invite you back and then you will be repaid. But when you give a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed. Although they cannot repay you, you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. Jesus tells the members at this meal to invite the people who they would never invite. Jesus is not interested in how many friends and family members we can all fit around a table. He actually wants us to invite people that we would never ask over. And when we look at this teaching, we're not excluded from this teaching. Ah, yeah, sure. That's practical. Let me just invite someone completely random into my home where I live and I play and I work and I sleep. But when Jesus commands this part, like don't invite your friends, but invite the strangers and the poor, I feel like there's an x-ray on my own chest where my heart is exposed because Jesus' his way is so different. His way of inclusion and his way of interacting with people is so counter to what I'm used to and what I'm comfortable with. But that feeling got me thinking about this. What if Jesus is not inviting danger into your home, but opportunity? I don't think when he says this, he is saying, never ever invite people that are into your lives into your home. Keep those two things separate. I think he might be telling us and advocating that we host people who do not advance our reputation. Those who don't add anything to my name or anything to my Instagram. Welcoming and getting to know the people who I don't have to see and talk to on a weekly basis. Jesus' way is full of opportunity. And it's this way of love and care that bonds the kingdom of God to us. We read the stories about how Jesus slowed down and intentionally met with Zacchaeus intentionally saw the woman who was bleeding for 12 years, intentionally talked to the man at the pool and every single disciple and the Pharisees. He really did this. He really had relationships and conversations with those in need, the sinners, the rich, the outcast, the last place, the prideful and the awkward. He had dinner with them. He made a way to spend time knowing them. And Christians are to follow. The slow and inviting way of Jesus is for believers to do. Not just think about, not just read about, but to invite people into our homes who would have no business being there outside of your invitation. One of the most formative books that I've ever read and a staple for this conversation is called The Gospel Comes with a House Key by Rosaria Butterfield. Her book talks about how hospitality uh, from a Christian family in New York introduced her to the person of Jesus and how it ultimately shaped her life as a Christian wife and a Christian host. Hospitality led to her salvation. I cannot think of a better summary of the complete story where Zacchaeus meets Jesus. But she goes on to say this in an interview about hospitality, she says this, quote, I learned that hospitality is about meeting the stranger and welcoming that stranger to become a neighbor. And then knowing that neighbor well enough that if by God's grace, he allows for this, that neighbor becomes part of the family of God through repentance and through belief. It has absolutely nothing to do with entertainment. End quote. Hospitality does something. But it's not for you. We don't practice love and care so that we get something in return. That's why it can't be entertainment. It's not entertainment. It doesn't mean to throw the coolest party ever or to have the best house or to just wave at the neighbor. It is so much deeper than that. Hospitality is a way For us to share our lives as we practice giving our lives away. Because it's in the giving of your life where you find Jesus. And we will only do this out of our love for God and our obedience to God. The practice of knowing and loving and caring for others builds relationships in our city. This is where the neighborhood all comes together with the good news on display. It is done by welcoming in the stranger unlimited times, eating with your neighbors regularly and knowing how to care for those around you by knowing those around you. Jesus's way simply models how we can share a place at the table. So why? With all that, why do we practice this way? Well, we practice inviting others in because you have been invited in. It actually is that simple. We become more hospitable the closer we follow Jesus. It is his invitation, not a mistake, that brings sinners just like us to the table. It's not from error that Jesus invites you specifically in. It is through his love that you've been invited to the table of the Lord. And in that, we are the ones who add absolutely nothing to Jesus's reputation. The truth is that we are needy. We are crippled. We are beggars. We have nothing to repay God with. And yet, that's what Jesus makes room for. That's what he's looking at. The only way that you will become hospitable in your home is if you've captured, the truth is that we are needy and we have nothing to repay God with. And yet that is what Jesus makes room for. That's what he's looking at. The only way you will become hospitable is if you have been captured by God's hospitality and captured by his open heart to you and his opening of the kingdom to you. And since we were invited to Jesus, we invite others. We practice hospitality, not for a blessed life with rewards. We give our life away and we get it back through Jesus. There's nothing else that would truly compel you to be a caring and loving neighbor to your neighbors. Jesus mastered this practice, showing us that as he brought people together, that's how the kingdom came. And it's at the table of God that everyone can come just as they are because it's here that you are known and you are invited and you have a place prepared for you already. I often think of what my life would look like if I didn't know who Jesus was. I I don't know if that's necessarily the healthiest thought to have, but it pops up pretty frequently because it makes me think about the reasons why I do certain things and why I don't do other things. Is it just because of where I live, the culture? Did I get lucky in growing up and hearing about God? Would I care about my neighbors or my friends or getting past surface level things? Well, probably not. But I also think about like, would I ever believe? Like what would have to happen for me to believe in God? For me to believe in faith, in love, in forgiveness? Is it more church, more charity? What actions could convince me of God's love, his acceptance, and his gentleness? Hospitality would. Jesus' warm welcome inside, offering to take my coat and give me a fresh cup of coffee would show me his tender love and that he knows me because he knows my favorite drink. Jesus is reclining at the table as we eat eat together would show me his gentleness and his unhurriedness. Jesus's caring questions of my past and my present and my future would tell of his clear acceptance of me. Jesus's inclusion and listening posture would introduce me to the sweetest grace that I could ever imagine. I think hospitality would work because it's a posture that flows from depth. It overflows Only from a loving heart. Sure, we can bring people in every night and slave over a meal and figure out all the logistics, but if we're just opening our homes without opening our hearts, then we miss it. Because it's by including others into your home at your kitchen table is a tangible example of how the love of God reaches other people. At its core, Hospitality is holy because it requires us to go outside ourselves and love. So go and love. Invite others to come at the table where you can come right in and sit right next to Jesus, where he will offer to take your coat and your purse, your keys and your hat, and he puts them behind the door where you won't have to worry about it. And he walks you to the preset table and he pulls out your chair for you to sit down and he hands you a fresh linen napkin to to set in your lap. He asks you about your life and how you've been dealing with things this week. And he knows the parts of you that you're going to say and he knows the parts that are secret and hidden away. There is something about his careful and thoughtful questions that allow you to feel free. And when the food comes out, he serves you, making sure that you've had enough. It's at the table that you see Jesus not as a hands-off timekeeper, but you see him as a host and as a new friend. Jesus welcomes you in. He is the one who cares for you and loves you no matter your sin, no matter your status, no matter your income or your secrets. He offers himself to you because he wants to be at the table across from you. Hopefully you've caught on to how we're talking about the table. The table is not only the tangible place where Jesus was reclined sipping a glass of wine, where surrounded by good friends and strangers all enjoying good food. The table is also the place where your soul is invited to, where you can come and bring everyone to the table, where sin is forgiven, where hope is found, and where joy is renewed where his love and care for everyone is the character of the host and the flavor of the food. Jesus' invitation here is to us, for us, to invite others. That's what the table in your dining room is meant for. It's designed for people, and it's what your life is designed for. What we're trying to do is trying to mirror how we've already received love and care to our neighbors, It's hospitality that models what the end looks like. And the end is full of perfect love and complete care for us all. The story of Zacchaeus in Luke 19 finishes by the end of his meal with Jesus. Zacchaeus is repenting of any wrong that he's ever done to anybody. While the ones outside the meal scoff at how Jesus could eat with such a sinner. The end of all of this world will not be plans for the future or looking at your schedule that is already full. Now, at least that's not what we read in uh, the Old Testament prophet as Isaiah talks about what the end will be like in chapter 25. He says this, on this mountain, the Lord of hosts will make for all peoples a feast of rich food, a feast of well-aged wine, of rich food, full of marrow, of aged wine, well refined, and he will swallow up on this mountain the covering that is the cast over all peoples and the veil that is spread over all nations. He will swallow up death forever and the Lord God will wipe away tears from all faces and the reproach of his people. He will take away from all the earth for the Lord has spoken. It will be said on this day, behold, this is our God. We have waited for him that he might save us. This is the Lord. We have waited for him. Let us be glad and rejoice in his salvation. Isaiah is not telling us how fancy the feast will be with celebrities and centerpieces and exclusive menus. He tells us that it's going to be a feast with the best wine ever and the best food imaginable as he defeats death for everybody. From the Old Testament to the New Testament, from prophets to visions, we read in Revelation 19 what John saw. In verse 9, he says this, Then the angel said to me, Write this, Blessed are those who are invited to the wedding supper of the Lamb. And he added, These are the true words of God. He testifies that Jesus is the Lamb, the reason that everyone is gathered together and the host that invites us to the table where he's at. See, the story of Jesus goes like this. It's he popped up in the middle of the plan. He changed everything. And he showed us a little bit of what the end is going to be like as he ate with sinners. It's a feast where he's the host, the house, and the meal. So friends, love others in your neighborhood. Out of the freedom you can love, you can go and share how Jesus cares for us. We're getting serious about knowing and loving the person of Jesus. And when we practice opening up our heart and our home, we follow in his way. Practicing hospitality is the only way for us to learn how to do it. Use the neighborhood bingo and the hospitality schedule exercise as you get started. The recipe for this practice is in your faithful footsteps. You do not need the perfect table, the best cookbook, or even a real reason to bring others into your space. This is for all stages of life in all parts of Knoxville, as we, as a body, want to practice being the family of God. You cannot master this. I'm speaking to myself on this too. So breathe and let that pressure on yourself go. This is not something to study and then pass or something that you can get a degree in or read enough books on. There's no rigid rules. This is simply becomes a rhythm and not a barrier. It is the why don't you come over for dinner tonight model of love. Thank you for listening to this message. If you want more information about our church, please visit us online at mosaicnox.org.